You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Sherry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, J.T. Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Sanderson, Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit HankGarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is... Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I'm really excited to have Wade Rouse on the show with me. Wade writes uh, some of the the work that he does under uh, a pen name of Viola Shipman, and Viola has a brand new book out called The Secret of Snow that is is just an ideal read for for this time of year we're we're ramping up and going into the holiday season and this is one of those heartwarming stories that everyone is going to just love you need this for your to be read uh table there beside your favorite comfortable reading chair and this will be a book that you want to pick up often and plow through the story it is so much fun and uh and it's such a great uh, heartwarming read. I know you're going to love it. Uh, welcome to the show, Wade. Thanks for having me, Hank. I'm I'm excited to have you, Wade. Um, we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? It's a very specific. You know, I grew up in the Missouri Ozarks, and I vividly remember my grandmother's reading Irma Bombeck in our rural weekly newspaper she had a column at wit's end and i always I remember those. yeah and i always remember um you know all of my grandparents were working poor and after a hard week i remember how my grandmothers would laugh and smile um reading irma and i thought my gosh if i could ever do that um it, i think it would be a dream come true and uh, you know my rural my rural middle school i entered a talent contest and i mistakenly chose to sing Delta Dawn while while holding a faded rose and I got heckled off stage and my grandmothers (laughs) both gave me a copy of Irma Bombeck's um, book and they gave me a writing journal and told me to kind of start making sense of the world that way and that's what I started to do ever since I was young so that's a really visceral memory of wanting to be a writer. I'll bet it was. Well, I have to ask you, Wade, what was your reaction? I, I understand your your grandmother's reaction and giving you the, you know, the tools that that a writer might need to to, you know, channel those things. But what was your reaction to not being received? Well, let's just put it that way. Well, it's hard. You know, as a kid, it's heartbreaking. All you want to do is be accept, accepted and liked. And when you're not, yeah. um you know, it, it it really sets you back. But I have to say, both of my grandmothers and my mother, who is a nurse and a hospice nurse, really championed being unique. And, you know, they said it's the easy thing to do is to fit in and the, into this world. And the hard thing to do is to stand out. And, you know, that's what I've always remembered as a writer, because all we have, um, as you know, is our voice that sets us apart. So, you know, we try so hard to fit in, but the best thing we truly can do and learn is to to just be our unique selves. So Wade, you being from Missouri, uh, I'm from South Mississippi and mm-hmm. you know, in, in Southern uh, uh, traditions, uh, there's, 
I, I don't know what it is. I've 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 explored this a lot, and and I'm I'm not fully satisfied with with uh, the answers that we come up with. But why do you think it is that there's such a strong storytelling tradition, uh, especially in Southern culture? You know, there is. It, I I actually link it to thinking back of growing up. You know, I spent my entire childhood growing up with my grandparents my grandmothers and, you know, their sewing rooms and the kitchens, watching them bake and at the beauty parlor. And my grandpa had a log cabin in the middle of nowhere that I spent summers at. And I think it is the fact that Southern people, um, especially our elders, were incredible oral storytellers. And, you know, they shared things of their past and of our families and of our traditions. They, um, you know, I won't say exactly what my grandpa used to say, but they love to shoot the, you know, just. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I Very think, familiar. I think talking and relaxing and, and sharing stories, especially at the end of a very hard work day or a very hard work week. You know, all of my grandparents were laborers um, meant something to me. It was relaxation. It was a a demonstrable sign of love and passing along a legacy. So to me, it all kind of started with the oral storytelling tradition, and then that went into writing. Yeah. So before you um, started writing as Viola Shipman and uh, and kind of taking this pen name on, um, you were uh, a memoirist and uh, and a humorist. Um, did did does the draw of that go back to those early Irma Bombeck memories? Yeah, it it really does. Um, you know, I really admired how she used humor as a tool to connect and teach rather than kind of preach at people and whack them over their heads with a hammer. Um, you know, humor is a great uniter, but humor is also very difficult to do, I think. Um, but it did. It, it really started back with... Irma Bombeck. And, you know, for me, humor was a way growing up in the Ozarks that I could make friends or deflect attention or, you know, keep people at arm's length or bring them in if I wanted. So it was kind of always my superpower, as it were, growing (laughs) up. And I just that's, you know, that's really the first voice that I had and the first voice that I wanted to to really channel as a writer. And, you know, I, I believe in writing about very difficult topics in memoir, but doing so in a humorous way so that, you know, people can kind of be um, lifted out of the pain of life. Well, that's a that, I'm glad that you explained it that way, because, um, you know, I think we've all read memoirs that are um, heart wrenching and gut wrenching and just the, the writer takes us through the visceral reality of it and allows us to feel, um, you know, the rawness of every emotion. And then there are people like you who maybe approach some of those things that are, that are hard to talk about. And, you know, an experience like you had with Delta Dawn, you know, that could be traumatic (laughs) and and that, that story could have been shared in a number of ways. Um, But choosing to, to view those things with humor and to, uh, convey those stories with humor. Um, that that takes a unique skill set. Um, how 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 long did you work at that before uh, you know finally coming to publication? 
a long time. You know, humor, you know, a lot of the novels I write now are are funny, but they, you know, they're they're much more emotional. And I, I do believe it's harder to make someone laugh than it is to cry as a writer, because just think of telling a joke to a room full of people, you know, half the room might laugh and half the room will think you're a total idiot, that it's not even funny. So humor's so subjective. Um, you know, it, for me, it's just, I believe that humor is, you know, the foundation isn't just being funny, it is being um, humane, it's being humble, it's being as real as you possibly can. But I also believe that for me, I don't want to wallow in the hard too long. I like to um, see, have a sense of hope at the end of a story. Um, I, you know, have a new memoir coming out in May, um, my first in a decade called Magic Season, and it's about my difficult relationship with my Ozark's father. And it's so, so emotionally hard for me to write, but it's also very, very funny. My dad was one of the funniest people in the world. So I think for me, kind of returning to my roots in that um, really kind of brought me back to those Irma years again. So um, I'm a big believer in, you know, humor and heart in any book that I write. I have to ask you this, Wade, because you've so far published four memoirs and then, like you just said, a fifth one coming the interesting thing about a memoir is is how it differs from um, autobiography, where you may think of an autobiography as kind of a, a story of cradle to grave. Um, mm. it's, it's kind of it covers the entire gamut. But a memoir gives us a look into a small window uh, of life, uh, and maybe it's a, a the small window of a time frame. Maybe it's a particular topic that that you know, sort of excludes the rest of life it, to focus on this particular thing. When when you are thinking about a new memoir project, how do you define the window that you're going to allow us to look into? That's a great question. You know, I you're exactly right. Autobiography versus memoir is a world apart. I define writing memoir as going on a week-long hike and you have to pack your backpack with only the most necessary of items <laughs> to survive. The things that you absolutely need, you can't throw everything in and complete the hike. It just has to be what is required to get to the final destination. And um, you know that's kind of how I always explain to aspiring memoirists, especially um, how they need to, to view their life through a, a very focused lens. What is what is the story you want to tell? Um, how does it universally connect to readers? And then how do you bring it to life in your own very personal and unique way? But you're right. I I start big and then I kind of go macro to micro in writing a memoir. I just you just have to cover the most finite of details. For instance, in Magic Season, you know, I'm writing, I'm talking about my life with my dad, but it's structured around the very last baseball game that we watched together, um, inning by inning, because baseball was the only thing that bonded us over, you know, our entire lives. So um, that's kind of, you know, structure and then, you know, backpack is usually how I explain it to writers. <laughs> um, so after uh, publishing four memoirs, um, 
you know, sort of in a row. Um, what was it that um, that made you want to branch out and start writing novels? Uh, and and I, if I understand right, Viola Shipman uh, was actually one of your grandmothers. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's my it's, it was my maternal grandmother. And, you know, as I mentioned, I grew up in the Missouri Ozarks. All of my grandparents were working poor. Um, my grandma Shipman um, especially was um, and my grandpa Shipman didn't have two nickels to rub together. My grandma Shipman was a seamstress and she stitched overalls at a local factory her entire life until literally she couldn't stand straight. And my grandpa wow. Shipman was an ore miner. And when that work dried up in our little town, he raked rocks off of farmers' fields so they could plant their crops. Um, anything they could do to make money um, for their family to survive. My grandpa hunted and fished to put food on the table. And they had an old crock in their garage, the big old giant ones that are taller than I am right now. And they used to throw whatever spare change they had in it. And when it got full, they put it at the back of their pickup and took it to the community bank and started a college fund for my mom. And she became the first in our family to graduate college. Um, you know, so that change changed our lives and my grandparents' sacrifices, you know, was really the reason I became a writer and I'm able to talk to you today. And, you know, growing up with my grandmothers, both of them, my grandma Shipman and grandma Rouse, the things that we take for granted that we've been reminded of the last couple of years mean the most meant the most to them, you know, having a roof over your head and food on the table and your health and friends and family and the little trinkets that they had, their charm bracelets, their hope chests, their quilts, recipe boxes were the things that told the stories of our family, but also meant the world to them. And, you know, after my mom passed away, I was loading up the house to get my father into a, to a smaller one. And I found all of my grandmother's heirlooms packed up in the attic, you know, their charm bracelets and their recipe boxes. And it really, you know, I was struggling. I was not writing, um, you know, writing about myself after so much loss wasn't coming easy. I needed a little distance. And I found all of these items, long story short, and I thought, you know, boy, my, my grandparents were never poor. They were the richest people I've ever known because they actually got what mattered most in life. And I really started writing that day in the attic on top of a cardboard box. Um, <laughs> just a story about, you know, the stories of a charm bracelet on a grandmother's um, bracelet. You know, that's that's how my grandmother shared her life with me was by telling me a lot about the, where she got her charms and her dreams and losses. So that kind of launched, you know, writing books um, about generations of women especially that are too often overlooked i think in life and literature dabble is a proud sponsor of author stories dabble is an easy to use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize plot and create amazing stories wherever they are write in our desktop app on your mac or windows computer tablet or mobile device dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero 
with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs, all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan, and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com So I have to ask you this, um, Wade, because I, I find the um, writing under a pen name fascinating for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, but I, when you started writing that, that first novel, um, did the idea of writing under the pen name of, of your grandmother, did, had that come to you yet? Or was that something that came to you and that just kind of made sense at publication? I guess what I'm asking is – do you write as, uh, you know, kind of taking on the persona of, of Viola or am I just making that too weird? No, no, not at all. <laughs> You're exactly right. I know what I explained. You know, when I first started going to events and they'd say before people actually do a lot about the backstory, they would say Viola Shipman and I would take the stage and, you know, there'd be <laughs> women in the front row going, why is that man going up there? It just, this was a really personal more than professional reason for me and it's funny when I started taking that notes in that you know the top of that cardboard box and I went to my laptop the first words I typed were the charm bracelet by Viola Shipman and I think in the beginning I I, I did that because I wanted to channel their stories her story sure. but when I went to my agent when it was done I actually kept her name on it and I told my agent I go you know um, I wouldn't be writing this book or be writing any books had it not been for her and all of my elders. And I really want to keep this on there. I know it's going to be a hard sell to publishers and maybe even to readers and the explanation. And I don't want to dupe anyone at all. I want to be very clear what I'm doing. But, you know, my grandma was all of my grandparents were the least egocentric people you will ever meet. You know, my grandma Shipman, her only sign of ego was venting a pie crust with an S. And <laughs> and I just, for me, if someone, I had those same grandparents, by yeah, the way, yeah, it it just, and if I, you know, a hundred years from now, fifty when I'm gone, and somebody walks into a library or maybe even a bookstore and picks up a novel that has my grandmother's name, and they say it, and they understand why I used it, and um, they maybe ask a fam a question about their family or their legacy or their history, then then this will have all made sense. You know, it's why I intended to do it. My grandma Shipman used to always say, life's as short as one blink of God's eye, but we too often forget in that blink what matters most. And, you know, if people people get that in 50 years or next month or on Tuesday when the secret of snow comes out, then I think my blink will have been worth it. Absolutely. 
Um, looking back over your books, um, Wade, the the first few books um, were. It, it looks like they to me. It looks like they were. Um, coming out of you channeling your grandmother's stories, um, the hope chest, uh, the um, uh, the the recipe box, the heirloom garden, uh, the charm bracelet. Uh, at at some point, you um, branched out uh, of those mm. stories that that you know were channeled of, of your grandmother and and well you know the the new book the secret of snow is is a perfect example um d- did there come a point where you felt like okay i've i've told my grandmother's stories i've honored these memories i have of her now let's see what else she could dream up very much so you know i think that the early novels were specifically tied to heirlooms and i wanted to kind of weave intergenerational family stories through those go back and forth in time but by you know my most recent novels the clover girls and now the secret of snow i think there's just more of the idea of tradition within them you know i wanted to branch out a little more deeply into exploring women's stories you know my whole life you know my grandmothers my mom my aunts great aunts all of my best friends largely are women and I wanted to delve a little more deeply into their stories and issues, um, topics that I think are a little more essential to um, current times. You know, in The Secret of Snow, all about, you know, a, a very mature woman who is running from loss, um, you know, it parallels my own life very deeply. So I think I'm still channeling my grandmothers, but much more of my own life and what I want to write about as well. And what I think readers, um, the big questions that readers are grappling with these days. One of the the things that I love to ask people, and, and the more that we discuss this, just the more fascinated I become, is I'm I'm really intrigued by the beginnings of things. And at one moment in time, the secret of snow did not exist in any form fashion it, it just didn't exist and then either uh the character of sunny uh, walked on the stage of your mind or maybe you, you got to playing the what if game um maybe it was a, a a news article that you had read or watched on tv or or whatever but at in you know something there was a spark of something mm. and then and then the story did exist and then it's your job as the writer to kind of excavate that story and dig it out and figure out who these characters are and, you know, where is she going? And um, what is that first moment of inspiration like for you? Uh, it's, it's, it's exhilarating and exciting. You know, it's, it, as I mentioned, you know, every single book I write, doesn't matter if it's a memoir or novel starts with what I call a big question. I mean, it's so, it's so, Almost, I'm almost like a child. I write it on a post-it, but it's something I want answered in my own life. And this, The Secret of Snow, actually, the inspiration started a long time ago. I'm very dear friends with um, an author named Nancy Thayer, who writes a lot about Nantucket. And she's written a holiday book in the past, and she sent me a copy of one of her books. And in the inscription, she said, why haven't you ever written a holiday book or a winter novel? And that question really resonated with me um, because 
as Nancy knows, and if you follow me on social media, I'm the king of Christmas. You know, I love, I, I'm that person that puts up seven themed trees, you know, <laughs> kitchen tree, lodge tree, lake tree, and has snow globe collections and bottle brush village collections and 45 um, stockings that you put up on the mantle. I, I'm, I'm the people, I'm that person that everyone avoids. And, you know, when Nancy asked me that question, it really struck a chord because the reason I'd never written it is because for me, the start of the secret of snow was very personal. Um, you know, the book centers on a woman who loses her sister when she's young and spends her life running from that memory because she defined the holidays and winter. And the same thing happened to me. I lost my brother when I was 13 and he was 17. And, mm. you know, he was my protector and he was also the king of the holidays. You know, he was the guy that went in our 10 acres of woods, cut down a pine tree, dragged it into the house, put it in the tree stand and covered it in tinsel. And, you know, as you can imagine, that changed the trajectory of my family and our holidays. And I came home, you know, a couple of Christmases later and my mom and grandma Shipman were in the living room and they'd cut a tree down and they dragged it into the house and they'd put it in a tree stand and drenched it with tinsel. And, you know, my mom said, why are we spending so much of our time trying to forget about your brother when he made us who we are and we should be honoring his memory? So, you know, that was really something I'd avoided writing about for a very long time. And so when I, you know, when Nancy asked that question, you know, and over the last couple of years, we've lost, you know, my gosh, 700,000 people. And I know their holidays will never be the same. And, you know, there's often too little time for grief amongst all the joy at the holidays. And I just wanted to write a novel that is a gentle reminder about what people are going through. In this case, you know, a 50-year-old meteorologist who ran away from her northern Michigan hometown because the memories were too intense. And then she gets fired and has to return and confront everything, not only the holidays and snow, but winter traditions that her sister so loved. So, you know, and in a nutshell, I have that same kind of feeling whenever I start any book that I write. It's so deeply personal and so exciting, but so emotionally exhausting to kind to um, delve into. Um, but as you know, it's, you know, it's the spark that makes everything happen. Um, and if we listen to ourselves and, um, you know, are honest with ourselves, and I think good things happen. And then I start with characters. You know, I'm Having written memoir, I really love to del delve into character sketches first. I really have to know about the people I'm writing about. So that's kind of how I start. In The Secret of Snow, um, we're, we're met, uh, we meet the, the character of Sunny Dunes, and she's a Southern California meteorologist who finds herself, um, you know, at the end of her career uh, for, you know, for, for, lack of a better term and and she winds up moving back home uh to michigan and and you know in in the process finding herself and finding a new future um if i understand right you live also in california and michigan um <laughs> now you know with your some of your previous work um your uh your upbringing in Missouri uh, it definitely informs that. And in the new book, it, it your present um, 
life definitely informs that. Um, how do you you think about a sense of place and the place that the writer is from and how those things tend to seep into the work, sometimes kind of on the nose, like The Secret of Snow, um, but sometimes in, in more subtle ways. Um, do you ever think about place and how that shapes us as writers? Hugely, hugely important. Um, you know, to me, setting, I try to make as big a character as any of my characters in my novels. It, You know, I want it to live and breathe. I was greatly influenced by... Um, maybe like you, so many Southern writers, you know, Pat Conroy, um, Dorothea Benton Frank, um, Mary Kay Andrews, you know, novelists that, you know, whether you're writing about um, the South or the low country, you can just, you feel like you're there. You know, you can sense the humidity, the sweats coming (laughs) off your brow. Um, And, that's what I wanted to do. You know, every single novel I write, I moved to Michigan in 2003 and every novel I write is, has been set in a different resort town in Michigan. And if you're not familiar with the state, it's one of the most gorgeous places in the nation. Um, and you know, the entire West coast up to North is filled with these very odd, quirky resort towns, all with very long and unusual histories. They're right along the uh, Lake Michigan, beautiful beaches and dunes and bluffs. And so I just, you know, hearkening back to those writers, I really intentionally try to make the setting just kind of its own character on every single page and have the setting influence the characters deeply. You know, and for me living in Michigan, and then I also winter in Palm Springs, the juxtaposition of those two places in this novel, the beauty, stark beauty of both is very different, but both are incredibly, insanely beautiful that I wanted to kind of mirror those as Sunny experiences them um, both personally and professionally, you know, as a soul and as a, as a meteorologist. So it, you know, my current life really does um, play into every single book that I write. I saw a video uh, on your YouTube uh, channel, I believe it was, Wade, where you I, I think it was at the beginning of the pandemic last year. And and you were talking about, um, you know, book tours being canceled. And uh, but you you gave us this this really interesting view into your writing space and your view out the window of the uh, the California mountains and um and you gave us a little glimpse into um, kind of how you um, the the atmosphere you need to write in. Um, you you said you like quiet and you like uh, a writing space with a view. Um, wh- what does that do for you? Yeah, I'm I'm just like most writers. I'm very ritualistic. For me, having an office that is a writing space that is. Um, if, you know, I'm blessed to have something that's slightly separate from the house. So it's quiet. Um, you know, I'm not a person that can write at a coffee shop or someplace busy. I can't have music going. You know, if I have two rescue dogs. If they start sighing, I'm like, stop it. I need <laughs> need nothing except coffee and a, and a view. You know, I think it harkens back to where I grew up. You know, in the Ozarks, my parents had... 10 acres. I currently live on about eight acres in the woods in Michigan. 
in California, I, I'm blessed to face the mountains. I grew up with quiet. I grew up with um, a view of nature. And to me, there is nothing more centering in kind of my, in creating a, a really safe environment for me to write. And it just, it's very funny. People are like, do you want to go work, you know, at the library? Do you want to go work at the bookstore? Do you want to go work at the coffee shop at Starbucks? And I'm like, I, I just can't do it. <laughs> I just, it doesn't work for me. So it's, it's hugely important um, to have that, that quiet and that, that view. Well, the secret of snow is available everywhere now when, when people are hearing this. Um, you say you've got the, the new memoir coming out uh, next year, I think it was. Uh, wh- when can we expect to see that, Wade? The memoir comes out. It, it's tentatively slated for, I think, May 3rd, so very early May. I'm really excited um, that that'll be coming out. And then my next novel, I have a new summer novel coming out called The Edge of Summer, and it'll be coming out in July. So um, I'll be on tour pretty much my entire life next year. That's that's amazing, and thank God we're we're back to book tours. Um, you know, I think some of them are kind of slowly getting there, but at least we're getting there. Yeah, I'm excited. I actually get to go on my, you know, do some first in-person stops, and I'm excited. I get to go for the first time down, down south. I'm going to Polly's Island to Litchfield Books and get to do a big author lunch, and so I'm excited to to finally be out again. Nice, nice. Well, we're going to put links in the show notes of this episode where everyone can uh, grab The Secret of Snow. Uh, we'll put links for the Kindle edition or hardcover. It's also available uh, in audiobook. Uh, have you have you gotten a chance to listen to the audiobook yet, Wade? I've not, but I've got, I was able to, I've been blessed. I get to pick the uh, narrators every single time. So it's it's nice to write a character and then kind of hear the voices because <laughs> you always have that in your head. That's fantastic. Well, we'll put links there. Um, Wait, if people are just discovering you and and all of the amazing stuff that you're up to, um, where can they find you and connect with you online? Website is violashipman.com or waderoust.com. There's two separate sites. Um, And then on social media, Viola Shipman on Facebook. I do a live um, literary happy hour every Thursday called Wine and Words with Wade at 6.30 p.m. Eastern time. And they can follow me there. That's where the majority of things are posted, but also on Viola Shipman on Instagram, Viola Shipman on TikTok, easy to find and follow. And I hope everybody loves the book. It's, it's gotten some of the best reviews in my life, so I'm really excited about it. Well, we are definitely going to send everyone to pick up their copy of The Secret of Snow, what a fantastic book. You're going to love it. Uh, Wade, this has been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you for having me. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Gleaves, the Jason Crane series. I'm melting! I'm melting! cried Joey. Take the picture already! He stood with one arm around the bronze waist of the bewitched tribute statue, Samantha Stevens, riding a broom across a crescent moon. Jason tried in vain to frame the shot without any tourists in it, but that was impossible. From all points of the compass, a merry horde had arrived for Salem's two-day summer psychic fair. All the commuter trains had burst open, like cornucopias filled beyond capacity, spilling endless fruits and nuts onto the red brick sidewalks of Essex Street. A vampiress in lavender shorts and feathered boots sold maple chocolate walnut fudge in front of the Witch City Tattoo Parlor. 
A near-naked gypsy in purple-green veils danced with a pheasant in her arms around a plug-in Hanukkah menorah. A fat man in a fetching blue jeans dress sold amethyst and citrine charm bracelets in front of Medusa Cafe, but his stand got knocked over by a one-armed crone driving a mobility scooter who sang, Choo-choo! as she passed, her stump on the wheel, her lipstick ghastly, her gnarled right hand raised and trailing plumes of noxious cigarette smoke. Chewbacca leapt out of her way and slapped sparks from his fur. He gave a disgruntled growl before going back to playing summer lovin' on his ukulele. The old one-armed dervish drove off. Choo-choo! Parting a crowd of wanderers. Slack-jawed tourists with camera straps tight across their bellies. Yellow-vested police on segways. Elderly rollerbladers. Face-painted infants and harried parents. And college girls. So many hot, hysterical college girls that you'd think somebody had napalmed a sorority house. Jason, are you deaf? Sorry. Jason raised the phone and took the shot. Joey inspected the photo and nodded in approval. Your turn. No, thanks. Do it, Shaggy. Don't make me hex you. Jason gave in and traded places. He put an arm around Samantha's metal back. Her bronze body had flushed in the afternoon sun, warm through his glove, but her eyes were weary. No, downright creepy. And her smile was forced, like a Disneyland princess who'd had her toe stomped. Say chowder, cried Joey, who'd been practicing his New England accent all morning. Come on, man. Say chowder. Fine, chowder. Joey got the shot, and Jason surrendered Samantha to a chubby kid wearing a Gandalf beard who climbed up to worship her bronze bosom.